This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, the podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. My name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 8 of the AMC series, titled The Tom Slash Brady. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 3, Episode 8, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K. and also newcomer Gojo, who have donated at or above the level of $10 a month. Oh, boy. Yes. Yes. So thank Here you. Here we go, Joe. Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a little late with this episode because both Nick and I were traveling. We were world travelers. We yes. went in two different directions. We I did. went north. He went south. We went as far away from each other as we have ever. No, that's not true. <laughs> Actually, <been>. might be. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think Japan. Me going to Japan is that's probably true. makes up the difference for that's both of true. us. But yeah, who knows clear on the other side of the world pretty yes. much yeah but uh we're glad to be back thank you for your patience but um, while you were there we had a tunnel through the earth that we could visit each other through yes yeah so that was nice <laughs> we could just drop a thing and it would just yeah so we were dropping through beer bottles with love letters in them <laughs> to each other <laughs> yes yes i still have mine <laughs> it was a beautiful uh it was a beautiful experience yeah but yeah, we're glad to be back. Uh, and as I said, thank you for your patience. And uh, I guess on with the show. We did get some listener feedback, uh, an email from Joseph that I'll read at the end of the show because he kind of talks about episode eight. And Joseph, then, Joseph's emails are like our show wrap-up emails now. Yeah. Didn't we do that before yeah. recently? Yeah. yeah, he just kind of comments on what happened a little bit and it doesn't make as much sense to read it at the top. It sure. works either way. But, uh, but Christina did write in. She had an email titled The Unholy Trinity. And she said, hey, guys, love your insightful podcast. Just wanted to take a moment to discuss Tulip and her importance of and the importance of why her arc is shining for me this season. The pilot has answered a lot of questions in regards to the woman we see now desperately trying to break a curse. God is charmingly amused to watch her continue to fail. Growing up, uh, being told and looked upon quite blatantly that you ain't shit and will never amount to shit is pretty damn sad. Remember season one when passersby and even the prairie dog shook his head at her as if her very breath was a waste of air. Side note from me, I don't remember that moment at all, which means I need to rewatch season one. Yeah, there are but, a lot of things that mean I need to rewatch season one, but yeah, that's definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to Christina's email. Some people may have fallen into despair and crawled into a bottle or crack house, but Tulip O'Hare has long ago decided that her fate would be to blast through life using the skills, street smarts, and improvisation she's had to harness to she's had to har- harness to survive. Left raising herself as Jesse was taken away shortly after his father turned her into child protective services and was killed by Jody. The most Tulip expects from life is to go out in the blaze of glory, much like her father, and it explains her rather ballsy, fearless nature. When you have already accepted your worth, what's the point in trying to escape it? 
And yet, like all humans, we sometimes linger towards a better path because, as strange as it seems, she's a most uh, she's a most empathetic and good person who wants to be happy but comes up empty. So any day after it's wash, rinse, and repeat. Uh, so day after day, it's wash, rinse, and repeat. I actually wonder if she has some form of autism. She struggles with literacy but is brilliantly adept at guns and organization. Interesting point. Uh, I suspect in season two, when the saint touched her, it was the first time that Tulip had felt any type of fear since her childhood. She faltered in her bravado in the face of actual death, and Jesse was not there for her emotionally. I read it as him being ever so slightly annoyed with her PTSD, whereas Cassidy stepped into the void and asked her how she was doing. He was playing video games to keep her mind busy. He cut through her bullshit and became the emotional crutch that held her together, which led led to her decision to leave with him to Bimini. It's this period that Jesse allowed a deeper, much more concrete bond to form between Tulip and Cassidy as they both were dealing with deep, raw emotional wounds and leaning on each other while Jesse searched for God. Never mind that he was late with the saint and Cassidy's intervention. Uh, Never mind that he was late with the saint and Cassidy's intervention saved her from death. Kind of, I guess. Ultimately, Grandma saved her from death, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, even the season Jesse has been, oh, it's all right to her every worry without taking into account her state of mind. Why was Cassidy making sure she was fed and lying next to her? Jesse's her hero, her boyfriend for so long, it's second nature to be with him, but she's finally starting to realize that she likes having someone to talk to, to laugh with, talk craziness with, and be, and simply be in the moment. She has unfulfilled needs. Jesse's complete disregard for exploring that depth and her inability to grasp at it is uh, part of both their stunted growth, as she does not know how to reach out for that affection, and Jesse does not know how to give it, which is why the triangle has more depth and relevance in the show. Thanks for reading this long fucking dissertation. <laughs> Thank you, Christina. I think that um, I think there's a lot of great points in there. I think that kind of that's a great look at what's been going on with tulip for these past three seasons and uh thank you for the context i guess yeah you're you're really able to draw a lot more of a defined arc with tulip more so than the other guys than the other characters she's and it, what's funny is i wouldn't have said that prior to like this season yeah but so much about her came forth early in this season mm-hmm. that it really really helps kind of paint a more vivid picture of who she is and and who she was and maybe who she'll become. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's definitely like, I guess I can't say definitely. She might be my favorite character this season though. She just has like, I don't know what it is. If just the, the writing has gotten, I don't want to say it better because she's always been great, but just something about Tulip now, she's always been so great. But now I just like look forward to like seeing every scene she's in with an exception in episode Wait, which episode are we talking about? Episode this eight. This is episode eight. This is episode eight. Okay, never mind. I'll save that <laughs> for later. <laughs> uh, I guess what I would maybe say is that like she was so contained in season two, like she had basically Featherstone's uh, secret identity and the Saint and Cassidy to like bounce off of. But yeah. I feel like with this season, she's got Grandma, she's got Jody, she's got TC, she's got. Featherstone, she's got Star, she's got like everybody. She's at least kind of spent a little bit time with a, lot, a little bit of time with a lot of different people to kind of give us more facets of like where she's at compared to these people, and not just like being 
stuck in the apartment dealing yeah. with her mortality. That's true. Yeah, that that was a big hindrance in season two. Is just like the kind of single setting of of Dennis's apartment for the most part. Yeah, yeah. She was definitely kind of trapped there, in in more ways than one. And I, I at the time, I kind of took it as like the writers not really knowing what to do with her. They were definitely focusing on Jesse in season two. Yeah. And it's not that they're not focusing on him in this season. They've just found a better way to address all three of them. In They've this found season. a good balance. Yeah, and definitely. I think I think it's like it, part of it must have to do with the fact that they're like, well, we don't need them to be together together. Yeah, but they can true. still kind of influence each other and affect how things are going in the different plot lines that everybody. Plus, having all these other characters that are like the the secondary characters of this season. Yeah, and they're sort of the go between for the three primary characters that you know they will each interact with those secondary characters and that changes the interactions that those secondary characters are having with the other primary characters yeah yeah i don't know season three is uh it's just fantastic absolutely i agree but i like the i appreciate the focus on just one character yeah do the others yeah do them all please write in with a dissertation on every character and preacher the thing is, Cass, Cassie is still kind of the disappointment because you you just still don't have that. But all you have to work on with Cass is everything you've seen from since the pilot of him in like present day. Yeah, you don't have any of that past stuff. This season got really deep into Jesse and Tulip, and we're still waiting for more Cassidy. Yeah, maybe season four. Maybe we'll see. Maybe season four is like its own se- sentence right now. Like, <laughs> will there be a season four? Yeah, hopefully. We will, see. I, we, we will certainly see this show's never really gotten that like oh it's renewed like a few weeks into the season like a lot of other shows mm-hmm. get so we shall see but all right let's get on with the recap in the teaser for episode eight jesse wrestles the gun away from star uh jesse after getting out of the elevator at grail hq jesse wrestles the gun away from star and fights many grail men standing beside the all-father an awesome elevator fight ensues, and when Jesse uh, gets back to the Allfather, he shoots the Allfather's center mass, and Star reveals that Jesse's soul is up the Allfather's ass. Before Jesse can get to work retrieving it, the Allfather somehow recovers, and Jesse is cornered by the Grail. The Allfather orders them not to kill him because he has Genesis. Uh, what did you think of the fight scene? It was cool. Yeah. It. Uh, I didn't like it as much as a lot of the other fights in the series. Yeah. Because a lot of it felt like the same shot, just with a different dude. Like they like they would shoot Jesse like kicking somebody and then they they would pivot the whole setup like ni- like forty five degrees <laughs> in the elevator, put a different dude in there, and then he'd punch him and then they would do it again. Like, <clears throat> I understand it's an elevator, you can only do so much, but something about the they have a certain way they like to shoot all these fights with like a certain like wider kind of lens and yeah. Because there's not a lot of variation in it, in a confined setting, it doesn't work as well for me. Like, I kind of needed some, like, close-ups of, like, I don't know. I needed something a little bit different than just that. Like, that same kind of approach works, like, in other settings when they can move around other objects and that kind of thing. Yeah. And have more space to move the camera around. But in an elevator, I was kind of like, okay. That, me, that confined me, space. Yeah, exactly. But it, yeah. Was, it was still neat. Elevators are cool places for fights to take place. Yeah, Bruce in the... In the, uh, in the Discord yeah. said, elevator fight scenes are always cool. See Die Hard 3, Diamonds Are Forever, Winter Soldier, etc. Yeah, when the Winter Soldier one is the all is the best. Absolutely. It's the all-time best elevator fight scene. Yeah. I would love for Preacher to tackle a old boy style hallway fight. Mm. I think something like that would be phenomenal. Yeah. 
And I, at this point, I still don't know if Dominic Cooper is like really good at miming fighting or if they're just good at shooting it. So he looks like he is, but I feel like a, a sequence like that would really put on display like his athleticism. It's he, been so non-green grassy that I feel like there's got to be at least some level of confidence yeah. in Dominic Cooper there. I think so. Yeah. But uh, no, that would be really cool. I really I love watching that. actors like him who have... They have this the athletic and athleticism to them and the skill like physically to make me buy into that. Yeah. Like uh, for some reason, the, the immediate one I can think, I mean, I shouldn't say for some reason, there's a very prolific career, <laughs> but Tom Cruise is obviously the go, the go-to yeah. example for a guy who's, in my opinion, a great actor, but also a great stunt person and fighter. And like, he, you can tell he can do it all. Did you see the new Mission Impossible? No, yet? I haven't yet oh, because I'm a God. jackass. That's so good. I'm really behind. But There's been, so much, There, there are shots like... Uh, Jeff Kanata on the Slash Filmcast brought up a good point of like there are so many shots that we see of Tom Cruise running at top speed mm-hmm. for long distances. Yeah. And just the idea of like someone running at top speed multiple times to get the right take is just mind blowing. It's impressive. Like I don't know how they could finish. I'd be winded for the rest of the day if <laughs> I ran anywhere near as fast as Tom Cruise did for an eighth of the distance that he did. He's been doing it for years, though. That's Tom, true. Tom Cruise running is like... They must have a program down, and he's he's used to it. He must be like... He probably would have a gold record in the Olympics for like a sprint distance or something like that. But he will probably end up with like a, a, a Guinness record for like movie star with most... With furthest distance ran. <laughs> yeah. he, he probably he has to already have it. I mean, yeah. like he's he runs in all... It's like the Julianne Moore crying montage. There, But there are, parts, there the are parts in Fallout in the latest Mission Impossible that I was like, oh, my god like he's never looked this good running and it was it was incredible it is odd how he just seems to just keep getting better and better i don't know and i i I should say i I will i will couch this with the fact that like i hate the fact that he's a scientologist and is probably crazy but god and the dude does what he does right he's a movie star i mean he is he is the one of the perfect examples of what a movie star is yeah they don't have to be anybody who's rooted in reality <laughs> just really good at being a movie star and that's cool you yeah. know we do need that yeah people shouldn't necessarily take so much stock in celebrities and movie stars opinions because they they don't live lives rooted in reality for yeah. the most part so some of them do but they're the exception yeah i would love for a for a career like that for dominic cooper though i shouldn't say like I don't want him to become like triple A like action guy like necessarily because he's such a he's such a talented actor, but I feel like he has those dimensions to him to yeah. be able to do a lot of different stuff. Like it does get under my skin a little bit when people say Tom Cruise isn't a good actor because I'm like you got to watch a couple movies. There's some performances of his that you can't deny are phenomenal. The first of which I will always say forever is Magnolia. Like it's a, it's an insanely good performance. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing I think Dominic Cooper would also be very good at. He can balance a lot of different kind of stuff. Yeah, I could see he's him doing being it good at the, at the variety. Like it, it, it just he he has this like genuine quality to him that not a lot of people do. That even I think Tom Cruise lacks in a lot of situations. But yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. But Dominic Cooper has this just like he he can sell you on his emotions his actions on like everything that he does which is i was actually just thinking while watching this episode that i have now 
accepted and believe Jesse's voice to be Dominic Cooper's actual accent, uh. even though it's nowhere near. Because <laughs> I've seen him in other things. You know, you see him in like the Captain America and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're like, okay, he's he's an American. And mm-hmm. then you like see him, you hear his actual accent. And you're like, oh, he's English. And he uh, he's so good at doing different stuff. And I remember when Preacher started, I was like, I don't know. Because I knew he wasn't. You were kind of listening for it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And I was like, he's not a Texan. And like, there's southern accents like in america and then there's like texas like it's yeah. it's unique it's particular to that region i he probably still doesn't have it right yeah i'm sure a native texan would watch it and be like no but <laughs> what's this irish guy doing in this show? <laughs> <laughs> who's this canadian here <laughs> the uh but the thing is like he he just makes it work for me and i remember early on you know i i was like oh, i don't know dominic cooper doesn't look like he doesn't have enough dylan face for me yeah. and like there were other people that i wanted and that kind of thing but now now watching it i just i'm so it was him talking to like the all father and stuff later i was like he just is jesse custer to me now which yeah. is really cool that we're that fi- is cool that we're finally at that point that is very cool same with you know when i read the book next or or continue reading i'm still like on this weird habit pattern of reading like two issues every like two weeks yes i need to keep keep at it but it's it's beginning to get kind of difficult now to separate yeah exactly to kind of divorce the the two from each other yeah Yeah, exactly because they're they're different yeah interesting anyway uh any other thoughts about the teaser i mean i guess this is jesse's first real interaction with the all father How Mm -hmm. how do you feel we that I guess that gives us a little more context to the All Father. Like, how do you feel about him and Jesse? Kind of the way that they play off of each other. I guess in the rest of the episode too. I really love Jesse's complete like flippant attitude towards him. Just not impressed. Yeah, and I that's so true to the spirit <laughs> of that character. He's just not like he's not at all phased by the by the display of power and that kind of thing. It's a little. Wait, they're at Star's office, right? Yes. During all this, okay. Yep. That's the thing. Like, I wish we had a little bit more of like All Father in like his natural his setting. Element. Yes. Because yes. if we had had like a real like opulent throne room for him to be in, I feel like that would have been a little cooler. Yeah. I see certain budgetary reasons for doing this, mm-hmm. and it does make sense. But uh, that would have made it even better to have Jesse be brought forth before this like incredible spectacle, and him just being like, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. All Father to me is and continues to be just so cartoonish. Yeah. Like I'm getting a lot of feedback and and seeing people being like, oh my God, he's so gross and like horrible and horrifying. And I just cannot take it too seriously. And I don't, I guess I got it. You know who ruined it was Mike Myers because all I can think of now is Fat Bastard. Like he just, (laughs) I just see like a fat guy in a makeup doing a funny face. And it's the way. I don't remember the name of the actor who plays the All Father, but I think it's Brian something. The something way coin, yeah, the way he says that thrice blessed line every time he does the same thing, and he does this like little <laughs> with his face, and he mm. just—it's it, a complete like Mike Myers thing, and I just can't see it and not see like a character like that, and it just cracks me up. Interesting. The All Father in the books is a little more menacing to me something about him in the show i don't for some reason doesn't quite i'm not afraid of him in the show i don't know why yeah i can i can agree with that as somebody who doesn't have the context of the show like he's still johnny coin is the name of of the all fathers that's actor. a cool name yeah um even as somebody who doesn't have the context from the books especially as someone who doesn't have the context from the books he does not feel he feels like a joke 
he feels like like I think you know what it's it's got to be because they have made him kind of a joke in the show like his plan is stupid he's kind of a dolt like his plan sounds good to him and it sounds good to all the followers because it has to be but when we have star there being like this is That's, stupid uh, yeah and we are kind of siding with star which is alarming I think the the I don't want to call it a problem. I think my issue mainly is the fact that, like, I have a hard time not seeing Star as, like, the top. Yes. Like, he's so... They did so well with him. Mm-hmm. And I think That's have true. fleshed him out so properly that the idea that there's this person above him that is as fat as can be, but yet somehow Star has not been able to disable him enough. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... The they, logic they, isn't there and just the feeling of it all. They do a better job in the book of uh, sort of displaying how intelligent the Allfather is, like how he's like an insane like manipulator. And yeah. Like, there's a reason he's the Allfather. And in this, you're just kind of like, eh. I don't even really get that like Palpatine vibe of like Palpatine is old and frail, but he's still somehow terrifying. Scares the shit out of you. And yeah. also has like guards that can take care of shit for him. And by all accounts, that's exactly what the scene should be, is like the Allfather's guards taking care of shit for him. But he's still missing something that yeah. that the, it's, co- the command, I guess, I don't know. Like, it's it's just not all there. It's a shame because this was the character I was incredibly looking forward to seeing. And yeah. I still like it. I like that he's there and that they really, they made him super gross. I yeah. mean, there's, there's no doubt. But there's just some some of the little extra magic that makes him as good as he is in the book isn't quite there in the show. Yeah. And and I don't think that I don't feel that way about all the characters of the show. I feel like for the most part, all the television counterparts of these characters are as good, if not like a little bit better than some of the book ones. But this is one that just kind of fell a little bit short of the mark for me. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think another one is Jody. I think I kind of have to finally get there and be like, you know what? I'm a little bummed out about Jody, but I'll talk to about that a little later. Yeah. All right, let's go on with Act One. Uh, Grandma has a bad dream where Tulip tries to lead her to her death once again, uh, and Sabina is waiting for her outside. In a shocked state, she picks up her phone, or after waking up in a shocked state, she picks up her phone and arranges a meeting with Satan. We learn Satan gave her the power to eat souls and remain young slash stay alive, but as soon as she dies, her soul is his in hell. Grandma wants to make a new deal where Satan takes Tulip off of her plate and in exchange he can have Genesis from Jesse. Cassidy and Acarius take an Uber home from the bar and it turns out that Hoover is their driver. Hoover gears up to take out the vampires but they got one over on him and were waiting for him to strike. And then finally Tulip, Jody, and Featherstone made it to Osaka and they entered the Soul Happy Go-Go as HR Associates. Uh, So what do you think about Grandma feeling this threatened by tulip does it it, i i i guess is that dynamic in the book in any way no so but does it feel authentic to grandma and and who she is at all to you i think she's more i think she kind of is jealous of Mm. her and the and the position she holds in jesse's life i think it's she's a little resentful that tulip is like the number one woman in his life and it's not grandma 
even in like a non-sexual way. It's just like the fact that Tulip is is his world and yeah. not his family. I think is kind of there's this resentment because when she's talking about how she she just describes her as a bitch to to Satan, and he's <laughs> he's kind of like all right, whatever. Then she's talking about I don't remember what the line the grandma says something about how she died or I don't remember what and Satan's like, yeah, that would suck or something like that. He's just very like dismissive of the whole thing. Yeah. Like, I've heard it a million times before. It doesn't, doesn't your, your problems don't matter to me kind of situation, which is kind of entertaining. Yeah. It just like it, I, it, I'll say I, it, it works for me. The idea that grandma feels it, it's like, it, like you were saying like the overbearing mother who's unable to let go of her son who is, you know, marrying a, a some some woman that is either too much like the mother or not enough like the mother, like different things mm-hmm. like that, yeah. I guess. But um, it's not necessarily something that I expected. Like tu- Tulip, Tulip is imposing, but Grandma has felt pretty powerful mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways for me, and has those smarts that I think we don't necessarily see in the All Father in most cases, but it's an interesting dynamic dynamic that i wasn't counting on happening but uh you were right about the the phone being connected to hell so plus one on your column hooray um i'm up to one feel any better about satan in this episode yeah i think i liked it a little more i don't know why though i think maybe it was just him being outside of his office his, <laughs> his, his lcd flame floor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I have the same one, and I have to say, you know, it, uh, my Amazon review was not favorable. Uh, yeah, it's something about it worked a little better for me, but I don't know why. He still is, like, kind of obnoxious. But I guess his dialogue wasn't quite as hammy as it was initially. Yeah. And I like seeing him interact with humans. Yeah. I liked oh, that he called TC Kid. Doesn't he say, get out of here, kid? Yeah. Or you're all go set. go hump a duck or whatever it is you you're gonna do. <laughs> I like too that it it's tracing this history between Longels and and Satan. Yeah, but that's very different from the books. Like mm. it, they're they believe they're what they're doing is in service of God in the books, and now here okay. it's like deal with the devil kind of shit. So yeah. I gotta say, Grandma's deal doesn't sound that good to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, you can as long as you can find souls and eat them, you'll stay young. And alive, yeah. And alive. But whenever that runs out, you coming to hell. are coming to hell. It's like, well, you didn't really get anything. In ch- I mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a, a good... Well, I, I, I guess the, the thing of it is, is that it theoretically means she could be alive forever, you know? I suppose. Like, I, if that is the case of, like, she can continue to eat souls. Like, if, if she eats these thousands of souls that jody's bringing back to her and like transforms into a younger person or someone of jesse's age or like whatever it's gonna do to her it kind of makes sense but in the whole line of like delayed gratification humans have to have the reward now rather than the reward later like i i could see somebody giving up on the potential of heaven for the immediacy of living forever oh yeah yeah Especially no, it, without knowing what living forever would really do, it's really valid. Yeah, I feel like if he, if Satan came to me with this proposition, I'd be like, I'm gonna need to see some paperwork about this. <laughs> like, 
How much time does one soul equate yeah. to? How easily <laughs> yeah. can I get souls? Uh, you know, yeah. how much of said souls do I need to consume at a time? Will I always be able to get back to a certain? Uh, yeah, I would annoy him. Would be like, never, <laughs> never mind. I'm going to give this deal to somebody else. Because like, sorry, you ask too many questions. Goodbye. I need to read instruction manuals. <laughs> I read backs of boxes. I read the nutrition facts on cereal. This is just what I do. <laughs> I would need like a Ghost Rider level deal where like <laughs> I get badass powers and I can go save people and punish bad guys and ride a motorcycle and have a flaming head and not be like Nicolas Cage. Then I might take a second look at it. Yeah, it's not as though Grandma's voodoo has like been shown to give her any real dominion over like what Sabina could do or anything like that. So Yeah, it's an unexpected twist. I was kind of like surprised that she straight up had like a contract with satan i thought it was more like they had an arrangement maybe that her something with her souls and maybe the tombs tied into something for him or mm. she was helping him transition onto earth like he seems to want to but they, the fact that they had a, a deal was a little surprising to me yeah yeah it's interesting that someone holds power over grandma yeah, and I guess we also didn't really get any information as to how Grandma knew much of anything about Genesis other than maybe it's something that Satan was aware of. And Yeah, he just sent out a general email list to everyone. Hey, that works for keep him. an eye out for this. I want it. Yeah, to himself, just BCC'd everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty good. Uh, Cassidy and Icarus uh, taking out Hoover. Jama- Jamaican Hoover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What can you say about Hoover that <laughs> the show won't do? <laughs> I the thing is is really clever. Like on the second time watching it, I was like, "Oh, they do a really good job of not showing you that it's Hoover at all, but like giving you that like it could be Hoover." Yeah, kind of feeling to it. But the the blatant like reggae music that's playing in the car. It's very stereotypical. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, it was very good. And even just like, because I think he has an accent when he asks them, like, he does, yeah, where they're going or yeah. something like or that. Or he asks, like, "Are you Cassidy?" When he pulls up, the oh yeah, the yeah, 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 because yeah. it's an Uber, I think, or whatever their Uber is. I think it, it was there was an actual Uber sticker on the back of the cab, probably. Um, what is I, them ambushing Hoover is just par for the course, Hoover. I think. So. Yeah, they somehow surround him. Yeah, they the they they vampires. Or not, what do you what do you think about these. the idea that they maybe knew it was Hoover? Oh, like, I think they definitely knew it was Hoover. Yeah. So yeah. like, even the dialogue in the cab is so on the nose. Blatantly, and, like yeah. we're gonna find the Grail and get him. And are you sure it was as bad as uh? <laughs> it was like, are you sh- are you sure that we should be out here at night <laughs> with the Grail looking for us? <laughs> that's yeah. That's pretty good. It was funny. It's pretty good. What did you think of Hoover's vampire killing kit? All of his goodies. He's got a steak and... I like that he's enough of a just dweeb that he has to look in the mirror and go, I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, liked his, his like mini sunlight gun too. Yeah, like I, I kind of wanted to see that in action. It was a cool <clears throat> idea. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, Jody, Tulip, and Featherstone getting to Soul Happy Go-Go. We'll talk about more in a little bit. So. Mm-hmm. All right, in Act 2, with the Allfather recovering from his flesh wound gunshot, Jesse is strapped into a Genesis removal apparatus. He gets connected to a cell with Humperdew in it, and the Grail uses a high electricity shock on Jesse to get Genesis to leave him. It tries to embody Humperdew, but ends up killing him anyway, and Star put a gun in Jesse's pocket to shoot the Allfather, 
uh, in the head this time. Featherstone, Jody, and Tulip utilize an HR presentation to lift the vault key from the director in Japan and are successful. And then Satan notifies Sydney that he wants Tulip O'Hare, and Sydney goes on her journey to find Tulip. Uh, so yeah, the I liked the callback to um, Jesse basically being like, "Oh, you're gonna sing me a lullaby," and then the All Father's like, "No, that's what the angels would do," or yeah, whatever we'll he says. The angels. Yeah, um, that was fun. And then I don't know, Humperdoo, Humperdoo as always. Yep, he's and, there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, the the it's fun. I, I haven't I've, I I missed the Genesis explosions a little bit. Yeah, they're just so gratuitous. <laughs> it is absolutely bloody mess from Fallout. Just like oh yeah, even more liquidy. Yeah, but, with like several rib cages. That go <laughs> yeah, it's it. like a Mortal Kombat brutality or whatever. Yeah, there was. was this great game that uh, my dad had for PC back in the day, like Windows ninety five era, called Rise of the Triad, and it was. It was definitely like a uh, Doom Wolfenstein kind of game yeah. inspired by those, but it was basically like you're this... I don't even know the story of it because I was like a kid, but we just loved it. And it was kind of in the same vein as Wolfenstein. You were like there like shooting Nazis, basically. Yeah. But it was more like a secret society, and it was way more advanced than those games. Like The graphics were better. It was like a li- later game, uh, and the levels were really intricate, and... There were lots of different weapons you could get and that kind of stuff. It was the it was the shit. Like I loved <laughs> that game, but if you blew up somebody with a particularly like insane explosion, it would happen at random. It would just like text would appear on the screen that said "Ludicrous Gibbs," <laughs> and these bodies would explode. And sometimes there would be like five skulls and like two rib cages <laughs> and like eight femurs. It didn't make any sense. It was just like a ridiculous amount of like limbs and and blood and stuff. And it was hilarious. Just back in the nineties, trying to portray gore in whatever way they could yeah because they could yeah like oh we have these slightly more advanced graphics and and processing power now let's see like how (laughs) just how how much people are willing to accept it was a great game i would love to like try to find an emulator for and revisit or something i'm sure you could yeah probably uh, works in dos box or whatever uh, it was so cool my brother and i used to play it constantly I, i could not even actually sum up what the hell the game was about but it was really fun. Yeah, it was the first game where you could get like Akimbo pistols that I remember playing. Mm. Okay, so it was it was the Wolfenstein 3D engine heavily modified, apparently. Yeah, it was great. From 1994, and that was probably around the time my dad got it. Interesting. And it just ruled. What did you think about the cloning of Humperdoo? Just, uh, I, I liked the All Father's, All Father's uh, line. He said, what did yeah. he say? He said something That's along secret, the lines. Secret yeah. weapon of religion. Science. Science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a great line. It was very good. I mean, it made sense. Like I, I was like, okay, you're gonna you gotta experiment with getting Genesis in the Humperdoo and you you know it's probably not gonna work, so you need to just keep uh, it was it is weird. It just glares, goes to show you how crazy the All Father is, because he really does genuinely believe that like Humperdoo is like the incredibly sacred christ child and then he clones him like a hundred times <laughs> infinitely apparently is the the implication that they will not run out of humperdues yes uh <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah. i was like okay i think yeah i don't know it's fine whatever <laughs> i don't really have much to, to add to it that's fair it's there uh anything else with the grail stuff in that segment I really love that Star keeps turning to Jesse to talk to him, and like, and they're not really in like hushed tones. They're just no. kind of like 
talking to each other and then Star's always like and then the All Father says me turns around, yes, old father. Like <laughs> yeah. turns around like all smiley and like that over the top grin. It was just, it's just really, really good. <laughs> well, and even the concerned looks that Pip Torrens had on his face in like certain situations of like, well, I don't quite know exactly how we're gonna get out of this one. <laughs> exactly. We're 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 really good. It was fun watching him act in the background as Jesse and, and the All Father kind of exchanged their words. But uh so what did you think about the HR presentation? to awesome. soul happy go pure, pure gold <laughs> i feel bad laughing at it but uh to be honest working for a japanese company i would not be surprised that this type of presentation would be happening even maybe in this overt of a fashion <laughs> <laughs> like this is how blunt we need to be yes yes yeah i really enjoyed jody's acting it was uh yeah. it was really good <laughs> did you do anything sexy <laughs> yeah jody doesn't have any of that finesse to no kinda... not at all it was great yeah although you know i'm sure that in some workplaces that's about the level of uh flirtation that some guys could muster <laughs> that's so. very true well and it's interesting watching tulip do it too because tulip's aggressiveness against the like the the japanese director's like timid nature was was interesting to watch as well i think it kind of goes to show you the idea of like oh dudes can't be sexually harassed either like tulip i think could do that like she could she could make it happen if she wanted to but like it's it was just an interesting juxtaposition to have jody this be this like incompetent like sexual harasser and then have <laughs> tulip turn around and be like all right i'm gonna work this show and then, of course, Featherstone's comments of, like, it'll be even more difficult with an attractive woman <laughs> yeah, or whatever was it was. I was like, damn. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Featherstone in that position as well because she's such a good actress that yeah. it would have been really fun to watch <laughs> what she would have whipped up. And she would have had all these, like, ridiculous side stories or something about the character she was. I love when she lapses into her, like, bitchy voice to Tulip, like, yeah. later when she's typing, and she's yep. like, mm-hmm. just like... She does this little voice that's, like, really funny, and I'm like, man, she's just so good. Julianne Emery is so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. uh, they're really fun together. Uh, And then, yeah, Satan and Sydney. More on that later, I suppose, unless you had... Where did, when did we hear her name was Sydney? I don't even remember I that. think it was in the... F- I think it was in her first appearance. Does he call her Sydney? I think he calls okay. her Sydney... Uh, when he's like having her stand down against the saint or something like okay. that. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's it's fine. I just was like, she's the angel of death, I guess, but whatever that means. But okay, unless I made a, like, do no, I think I've heard that before. Okay. I, I was just curious, like, when <laughs> when did that happen? I You're making remember. me question it now. Uh, yeah, no, she's credited as the angel of death on IMDb. So, uh. All right, let's go on to Act 3. After a beautiful montage of exploding humperdoo set to the Blue Danube, Jesse learns from Dr. Slotnick that Genesis requires someone of similar proportions of goodness to badness in order to act as a good host. They're using DNA cocktails to alter each humperdoo's genetic makeup in order to try and make each successive clone a better fit for Genesis. Jesse tries to get Star to kill the Allfather, but Star is too scared to do it. Star steps out to check out his phone, uh, to check his phone, and it is Les Enfants du Sang with Hoover being held captive. Star instructs them just to kill him because he doesn't care about Hoover. <laughs> Les Enfants du Sang 
uh, as I'll say it correctly the second time, are ready to kill Hoover using bees a la the Wicker Man. <laughs> but Icarius suggests that maybe they should allow him to pick whether or not he would want to be turned instead. Uh, the montage of Exploding Humperdoo was good. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. It was, you know, the Blue Danube, I think, is one of those songs that just like, it's weird how a song like that sets your expectations of what's going to happen. It can only be used for comedy now. Yeah, it's like... If right. a movie tried to use that in a serious manner, I'd be like, no. It's, it's strictly <laughs> for jokes. Like, at this point, it has it has pushed into meme territory. Yeah, and it's just this, like, you're, expe- you're like, all right, there's going to be some amount of slow motion yep. or just, like, some things... Gracefulness. Like, a, like some type of Rube, Rube Goldberg device or something. Like, there's just very specific... It, it has gained so much connotation that it's... It's just an interesting, uh, I, I guess there'd be a good podcast episode or something about, there's this podcast called Decoder Ring that would examine something like that, of like the use of the Blue Danube in, in pop culture. But That's interesting. Um, so I got something confirmed here, at least that we've been kicking around since season one, of the idea that Genesis requires a person to be of similar goodness and badness to itself. Yeah, that is that is cool. I never would have ventured to even think that far. It, it like it, the interesting thing is we get kind of like a, at least with the grandma and Satan contract and this revelation here, we get some like bigger questions ash- asked or answered in the series in mm-hmm. episode eight, at least. So yeah, that's true. That was cool to see. Um, when they said Doctor Slotnick, I, I was like, "Please be played by Joey Slotnick." Like, I was really hoping. <laughs> you know who Joey Slotnick is? I do not. Oh, just Google him. He's a. Uh, you'll know. You'll be like, "Oh, I've seen him and stuff." He's a character actor. Uh, but yeah, as soon as they said that, I was like, "That would be funny." And the character it doesn't even have to actually be playing Joey Slotnick. I do know Joey Slotnick. Yeah, of course, everyone does. He uh, that would have been really good. Because that is a name I have never heard anywhere else. I'm not even sure it's a real name. Well, the thing is, is that the name Slotnick is very interesting. Like it, it is, it is, it it rang a bell with me, and I felt like it was. Um, I'm trying to think of what it might have been. Like I thought, I thought it was like Spaceballs or something. The doctor that threatens to give Princess Vespa her nose job back. Like her former nose back, mm. I thought it was like Doctor Slotnick or something. But there's could be. If anybody knows of a no, it's Doctor Slotkin. Excuse me. Oh, it's close, but not quite. <clears throat> if anybody knows any other Doctor Slotniks in pop culture, please write in and let us know. But I liked that right away. Jesse called. Was he called Doctor Sputnik or something? Spocknik. Spocknik. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, no. it was kind of a drag. Is her German accent is so good. And seemed so authentic that it immediately made Noah Taylor seem really bad. <laughs> I was like, oh, she had all the right like and stuff. Like, all of her pronunciation and everything was so genuine. I was like, the actress is either legit German or just better than Noah Taylor at a German accent. I Yeah, I think I think basically once you got this, the, the Hitler stash, people don't even need... You don't even need to be speaking German. People just right. apply it of you. But, yeah. No, she. it was a very good good character and and the idea of um i don't know if it came up here or if it came up later but uh, combining different celebrities no not the combining different celebrities but um when star mentions like oh i didn't think it was going to happen because of woman scientists yeah that's, that's later like, yeah 
It's like, of course, that's what Star would think. But then it's like, yeah, of course, it's some like German scientist that's yeah, figuring some out evil how German to, woman. Yeah, I <sighs> liked the uh, what was it, Venus, Venus Williams, and uh, Louis the Louis the Fifteenth or something was the one that they tried out Louis the Sixteenth. Yeah. yeah, and then she's like, this one was shit. <laughs> I wanted to see. I, I was really hoping that there's like footage left on the cutting room floor of like the actress the, just improving names yeah just making <laughs> up different combos like if you had cast like a paul rudd or something in that scene he could have just riffed on like who all the potential ones would be i'm kind of bummed that they landed on tom brady like i wish it i wish it was somebody better it was funny though it was funny i i think it was very funny but the um i don't know just the it, it's that it's the similar joke to the joe stalin bit with joey of like, like Dr. Slotnick's not aware of who Tom Brady is because she probably doesn't care about football, mm-hmm. American football at all. But like her coming up with this name that is like, this is what we're going to call it. And yeah. it's as if nobody's ever thought of it before. It's that same joke, but I wish it was like just somebody even more ubiquitous or something like that, that it could be. Like Mark Harlick. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been incredible. We call this the Markhalik. And it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Again? <laughs> We're just obsessed with Mark yeah. If If like at least one joke an episode revolved around Mark <laughs> Or like the big Lebowski or something like that. Yeah, Brady, I mean, I'm sure there's... It'd be funny if one of the guys in the behind the show was like a big Pats fan or something. Yeah. But, yeah, I I just like them. it's Thomas Jefferson and Wayne Brady. Yeah. Like that, that is to me what makes it so funny. A beautiful comedy. And I was like, which one's the good one? And which one's the bad one? Like TJ has to be the bad one. The evil I think, one. I think I don't know that they're just the strictly good or bad. It is like you're messing with the ratios of good and bad in each person to get sure. to the right, the right mix. But although I guess with the with the Venus and the the Louis one. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I don't know much about about the the uh the king. Maybe he was a horrible horrible person. I think so. I think that's the implication. Uh but yeah. Um Star stepping out to deal with the the ransom note of Hoover. That was funny. Very good. I liked Hoover going. Must have been one of those autocorrect things. <laughs> Try again. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just keeps coming back to me. No. No. It's not autocorrect. <laughs> The bees thing was probably my favorite <laughs> joke the entire season. It yeah. was so, so, so good. And then, of course, that guy is a beekeeper. And he's like, are you really? Jesus, I'm sorry, man. That's brilliant then. Yeah, let's do it. It's the best idea so far. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> and I love, too, that <laughs> when the guy brings it up, like we in our circle of friends, we joke about the Wicker Man all oh, the yeah. time. And... The guy's like brings it up, and of course, like any other character would laugh. And he's like, no, "I'm not saying it's not a brilliant film because it is." Like <laughs> Cassidy hates the Big Lebowski, but loves the Wicker Man. <laughs> this is this is the real. This is what we really need to be focusing on here. I thought that was just so good. And Joe Gilgan, every every episode, he has the one scene where he is just the best character in the show, and this was it. Yeah. No, he's like, "Well, then let's go with that. Then it's it's brilliant. <laughs> Pure gold." Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, I guess we'll get to him being turned because that's up next. Hoover elected to be turned into a vampire and ultimately seems to enjoy it in the end. Cassidy, having turned Hoover, tries to fly but completely fails, and he suspects—wow—suspects that Acarius isn't telling him everything he needs to know 
to be able to fly. Tulip and Featherstone enter the soul vault with the help of Jody taking out the security force in the security room. While Featherstone would rather uh, hack her way in, Tulip tries to brute force it and ultimately uses her gum to short out the vault door and open it up. The crew pack up the souls and get the heck out of Dodge, and as soon as they exit, we see Sydney has made it to Tokyo in an attempt to collect Tulip. After their flight back to New Orleans, New Orleans lands, Sydney boards, attempting, uh, Sydney boards the plane attempting to take Tulip, but Tulip outsmarts Sydney and sends her after Featherstone instead. After Tulip returns to the car, it turns out she grabbed the wrong brief pa- briefcase and Featherstone must have had all of the souls. She suggests that they follow the quote-unquote cop lady back to the police station, but Jody reveals that she wasn't a cop and they weren't headed to the station. Uh, how do you feel about Hoover being turned? That is not a, a comic book thing, right? Nope. Yeah. Definitely not. Uh, it's interesting. It really makes me... I, there were certain things I thought they were going to do with Hoover, certain directions I thought maybe they're going, and now it's just like totally veered off the charts, and yeah. I, have, I have no idea now. Hmm. So in that regard, I'm kind of excited for it. It's worth it alone for the shot of him popping up with yeah. like his fangs <laughs> in his hands, like, yeah! <laughs> that was great. Uh, also worth it for the bevy of amazing vampire Hoover film titles that arrived in our Discord. Yes. Uh, which had me rolling laughing. They were so good. Joseph and Bruce and, and Jason were all over that. Um, Before I could even chime in, I was like, yeah, they covered it. Yeah, I, I, I did the exact same thing. Uh, things like... Uh, scream Hoover Scream and Hooveratu, <laughs> Bride of Hoover. Uh, there, Jason also uh, submitted the Nosfertuver. <laughs> what Hoover does in the shadows. That's that's my second favorite. <laughs> so good. So thank you. That's that's why you need to join our, our Patreon. Absolutely, because by the one that made me, I mean, I was like giggling at all of them, but then when I saw Let Hoover in, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. Let Hoover here. in. That's so awesome. Beautiful. <laughs> so well done. I just pictured Hoover outside the window, just like <laughs> with his with his beautiful face. Of yeah, just just, just like, like that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see Hoover's lot on there. That was one. The one Hoover's that I thought of. Hoover's lot. Very yeah, good. I never. I didn't see that one. That was the one I thought of, and then I I was trying to think of more, but uh, what Hoover does in the shadows was really good. Yeah, what Hoover does in the shadows. Fantastic. Hoover is, uh, you know, he can do anything. He's a, he's a fucking vampire now. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Like, let's see what comes of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really, it's really interesting. Uh, Cassie trying to fly is funny. Just jumps down the stairs. Mm-hmm. That's about all that happens. I'm glad he's savvy enough to kind of be like, he, he knows that something is not, is not right. Yeah. Here. I also think Icarius is his, uh, I want to phrase this properly. He had a good he had a good regimen going. I think he had a good schedule. He was probably like turning one person every month or something. He wasn't going overboard. He had something worked out to where nobody would be suspicious and yet he would live well. And then Cassidy comes along and is like, hey man, drugs, sex, alcohol, like let's go. Turned him into more of like a, just a junkie, more an, of like a fiend. An and, impulsive and, actor. And, yeah, and just like a guy who's addicted to, to the high now. And now he's like turning he's he's like he can't wait to like turn another turn another person and get ready to send them off to fly and in doing so is is i think risking revealing uh himself so yeah it's like any any character that has like a good plan that that's like bad he kind of like i think uh even like breaking bad like walter starts to get too greedy and too big and that's what starts to make things go a little haywire for him yeah 
And Cassie also, I think, kind of sees this and is like, because he's even hitting the bottle kind of hard in the car, and he's kind of like starting to remark, like, "All right, you're really turning into you know something, something else." Yeah. The wh- are we still pretty off the map on Acarius, or do you feel like yeah. they're okay? I would say so. Interesting. I I will look forward to uh, if he ends up dead or whatever at the end of the season. I will look forward to kind of hearing more about. Yeah, I really need to reread that arc too. Yeah. The the Les Enfants from the book. Yeah. And Denis. Good old Denis. Uh yeah, the what did you think about the vault sequence? So I like the two different approaches of of Tulip and, and Featherstone, of course. Mm-hmm. And Jody's uh one emoji response. Yeah, awesome. It was very good. Yeah. His suitcase having Sudoku and a hammer in it. Yeah, or did it? No, it didn't. It wasn't. It was like or, simple crosswords. Yeah. is what it said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, wonderful. That's all he needs. Uh, but yeah, no, I liked the vault. I liked the enormity of it. At yeah, least. the design of it was really cool. It, it was simple, like them walking up, and they were probably standing on a green screen or whatever, and it just continued up, but. Mm-hmm. I liked how uh, the 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 soul happy go. It's it looked a lot like the truck, like the back of the truck from yeah, the last season, and just kind of the consistency with just the more design vertical. there. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, but yeah, I love the way the souls glow and like give off light. Like when they're lowering them into the briefcase, I was like, that looks so cool. Yeah, like it's a neat a neat little touch that they throw in there. It is a very like it doesn't look like anything of anything on earth nothing naturally it doesn't look like even like a a bunch of little diamonds or something like that it it looks like some other substance yeah they have their own quality what the consistency of it is and like i don't know it's just it's very interesting yeah i like it a lot uh and then how do you feel about sydney's easily distracted not distracted, I guess, but her manipulatable. The fact that she was given a basic description. Well, not that, not that just. And that's what she, she operates on it very literally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, cause I guess I was kind of like, I feel like it's a little dumb that she's just like, why, why wouldn't she be able to have some extra sense of like who Tulip was, but in the sense of like, Satan just told her, oh, she's going to be in a grail outfit. I guess that's a good payoff for the fact that they made her put it on, right? Yeah. You know, and it kind of just makes it all fit together. But my initial look at it all was kind of like, hey, that's kind of dumb, but. I mean, it is kind of dumb, but that's a pretty common theme in preachers that like powerful entities and organizations. Being in that. Yeah, exactly. You don't plan well. They don't pay attention to details and it ends up biting them in the ass. Fair enough. I thought I got a chuckle out of it. Yeah, and I guess uh, that we do earlier in the episode get a scene of Jody like getting a phone call from Grandma. It seems at least. And, yeah, I think tipping him off to what's going to happen. Yeah, and the fact that he kind of explains to Tulip at least of like she wasn't going to hell or she wasn't going to the police station. Yeah, like she wasn't a cop. Yeah, but yeah. All right, and Act 5. Uh, Acarius takes Hoover out to fly when Cassidy notices a bloody travel pillow in the trash. 
Just as Acarius is ready to bite into Hoover, Akari, uh, Cassidy confronts Acarius, and Acarius hurts Cassidy, allowing Hoover to slip away. Dr. Slotnick creates the proper DNA cocktail from Thomas Jefferson and Wayne Brady, which causes Humperdue to sustain Genesis for long enough to force everyone to bow to him. Slotnick then murders that Humperdue, and the Allfather asks for the Messiah to be brought in. And finally, Eugene is still somewhat hysterical, standing with the Saint and Hitler under an overpass, but now Sidney walks up with Featherstone, who's holding a suitcase. Hitler borrows Featherstone's phone, and he notifies his circuit works buddy that, his man, that the man has him captive. Uh, yeah, the the fact that Acarius is just kind of like, I'm just going to throw these bloody travel pillows out in the garbage, once again, kind of goes back to your point of, like, he's being sloppy now. Like, maybe he would have dropped it off on a dumpster or something originally, but yeah. now he's just like, I'm just going to throw it out here. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Mrs. Rosen These people care. are all stupid enough to exactly, not. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, what did you think about their actual confrontation? Just kind of like Cassidy, Cassidy being upset about. Yeah, he's pretty wounded by the whole thing. Yeah, I think uh, I, at this point in the show, I think I just have to accept that there's there's a lot of things about Preacher the series that I that are different from the book, and uh, most of them I think I like, and there's some that I th- think are departures that I don't like. Yeah. And I think at this point, I do like where who Cassidy is in the show, but I just have to accept that he's not going to be who Cassidy is in the book. And that's good. That's okay. It's just, it's a little unsatisfying for me because I think Cassidy in the book is so good hmm. the way he is. And I can't really get into it much more than that, unfortunately. That's fair. No. But I, I think at this point, I have to just like be like, okay, Cassidy's just a better person in the show than he is in the book. And that's okay. Like he... He's a good character. He's a good guy, as Hoover so says. So, do you to feel him. like Cassidy in the book would have been like, "All right, whatever," and just like joined in, or like Cassidy in the book? I don't think would have ever been in this situation <laughs> to begin with. I think he probably would. He would. He would have seen a carries and be like, "Whatever, man," and then walked out the door. Yeah, and, and he probably, or he just would have killed him, or he would have just like, yeah, well, he probably would have just left. Yeah, I don't think he would have coexisted with him uh, if he had. If he had found like a basement full of people willing to do shit for him, he probably would have manipulated the bejesus out of them <laughs> yeah. and had them waiting on him, and then he would have got bored of it and left. Yeah, because Cassidy in the book is he's he's kind of a coward. Like he he's not really he wouldn't have confronted him in this way. He would he certainly wouldn't have taken it so hard. Like he wouldn't have felt so like injured by it all or been like, oh, you're just killing these people. Like they're they're people. Yeah, and uh, he he would Cassidy in the book would have been like, yeah, whatever. Is Cassidy in the book? I think is a more realistic ref- reflection of what uh, people might become after like 80 some years of immortality and being a vampire. I think Cassie in the show has retained or maybe even regained some of his humanity. Interesting. Uh, so he's, he's a little less undead. World weary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's fair. I think he, and, but he, cause even at the start of the season, he's very dismissive of them all. And then he seems to kind of start to genuinely form connections with a lot of them. Yeah. Especially Lisa. Is that the one that yep. they sent off? Yeah. And yep. he's like, took that really hard. He's like, yeah, she trusted you and you killed her. I think a lot of Cassidy's issues seem to fall back on that. Like you trusted somebody who was looking out for you and then they betrayed you. Yeah. It seems to be like a, a thing for him. So it's weird that Icarus like just knocks him unconscious like that quickly. Cass, I mean, I get that Icarus is more powerful, but Cass should be a little more durable than that. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh. 
I, oh, this is a break the ice pack for me now in movies mm-hmm. and TV is when characters get like punched or like clobbed with something and then they're unconscious for like hours because <laughs> I'm like that you're dead. That means you're dead. Yeah, it doesn't happen in real life. No, this got ruined for me years ago. Like I used to just accept that. I was like that makes sense. You knock them out, they're out for a while, and then they come to right when you need them to. <laughs> but and then I I remember reading something years ago about how like that was one of the most offensive there was a big article somebody wrote it was probably like the worst thing they could do for people who like movies but they wrote all these like movie sins things that like that movies always do like the idea that you can like uh like shoot a gas tank and the whole car explodes that mm-hmm. kind of stuff yeah and uh one of them was that you knock someone out and they are out for hours it's like no they'll, they'll be out for seconds maybe like a minute or something and any worse than that and it's like brain damage and yeah. they're gonna die or they're already dead <laughs> they're in a coma exactly yeah, yeah. And so now I feel like that's a trope that movies at this point in time and TV shows should be sophisticated enough to write their way around. Yeah. We shouldn't have to rely on, listen, shooting a car gas tank and it exploding. Awesome. Like doesn't make sense. Looks sweet. Do it. Like that's fine. Certain things like that. I don't mind. But like, this is just something that like it can happen to people. Like you might get hit on the head with something and you're not going to be you know what i mean like it's just something that we should all be able to accept like it doesn't make sense and when a hero of a movie gets like the butt of a rifle to their temple and then they come to handcuffed and it's like the next it's day nighttime. yeah exactly <laughs> no let's let's move on like we don't need that like inject them with something makes way more sense yep. like that i can buy probably also not accurate but yeah you know yeah. what you could fool me so <laughs> Let's move to something like that. Interesting. If I have to see one more POV shot of a rifle butt and then the screen going black, I'm just going to throw up everywhere like the All Father <laughs> in the theater. It's probably going to happen in, in Fallout. It probably happens in Fallout, doesn't it? I don't know. <laughs> Tom Cruise sprints know. full speed into like a, into like a low-hanging beam. <laughs> a very, very low-hanging beam. Then I believe you'd be out for a couple days. <laughs> That's true. When you run it like Mach 2 like Tom Cruise does. Breaking the sound barrier. I just read today, actually, that Tom Cruise is supposedly the front runner to play Hal Jordan in the uh, DC relaunch Green of, of Green Lantern. Yeah. Yes, that, of Green Lantern Corps is what the movie's going to be, and yeah. apparently he will not be the sole Green Lantern. There will be a team, you know, several of them. There's probably like thousands of them or whatever. But I was like, you know, I'm kind of. O- it doesn't make any sense. I never would have thought of it, but I'm kind of okay with it because I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It might work though. Yeah. Certainly I would be more interested in that than dark universe. <laughs> or am I? I don't know. I don't know. Do Is I want to Do I want to see dark universe happen? <laughs> we'll see. Oh boy. Anyway, that's yeah. that's the that's for another day. Yeah. That's for the dark universe podcast which we will uh, <laughs> we will create. <laughs> oh boy. With 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 Hoover as uh, the vampire character. Yes. Oh man. Uh, Doctor Slotnick making the Tom Brady <laughs> quite good. I you know Thomas Jefferson Wayne Brady as you said earlier, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so there was a comment in our in our uh, in our Discord that uh, somebody I believe it was. Joseph, yeah, Joseph says, I really hope that the reason the All-Father had the surviving Humperdue shot was because he was saving the tap-dancing one for to be the Messiah. <laughs> so that... Uh, Makes sense. The original, essentially. Yes. Humperdue Prime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and then with Eugene and everybody at the overpass, I guess Hitler gets to use the cell phone to call uh, 
God, what does he keep calling him? What's the name of the Circuit Works guy? Ricky. Rick. I yeah, think it's Rick. Something yeah. like that, yeah. He he gets to call Rick and <laughs> Rick just like, Oh, they got Hilter or whatever. Yeah. He says. And that's what it ends on. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I think it was they, there were some interesting revelations in the episode. Um I don't know that it had like the momentum that I felt, especially Yeah, I didn't love but, it. It's so weird. I keep coming away from a lot of these episodes like I didn't love it. But I like the season so much on a on the whole, and I don't, and it, and it doesn't make any sense because that is made up of all these episodes. So <laughs> it, it's weird. It's like I like, I don't know, like season one on like an episode to episode basis was probably the best because it had so much momentum. Yeah, and you had like this big bad of like Odin Kincannon. You had Genesis all along. You had a, you were getting to know everybody. There was like all the mystery of that, and then season two is like there. It's like Attack of the Clones. It's not that bad, but <laughs> and then season three just like is so cool. It's such a different setting. It's got so many cool villains, but I feel like it's really building towards nine and ten. I feel like those are going to be pretty bombastic, and a lot's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think the thing of it is, is, like if they don't stick the landing on on the finale or whatever, then it, it could very well it just kind of be like a oh well, it was fun while it lasted, but it's true now that we're here. So like there are a lot of little things in this season that are starting to feel kind of inconsequential, like stuff like the tombs and all these like mysteries that we were introduced to. And then they kind of happen and we're like, okay. And then we kind of moved on. I guess the second half of the season has been a little different than the first half. First half is very much about like Angelville and Jesse and grandma. And the second half is more about the grail and all father and the souls. Yeah. Well, and uh, Joseph's email actually touches on that a little bit. He said, uh, so I'll start from the beginning. He said the harassment seminar was funny. And then he also repeated his all-father Humperdue uh, a comment about hoping that the, the one that he killed was the one. Or he says, uh, he was saving the Humperdue who knew how to tap dance as the only proper messiah, is the phrasing that he uses here. Mm. says, Hoover was pure gold. I love that one moment where it seemed he might surprise us and be competent, and I loved it even more when he didn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he and Cassidy are a great combination and I love seeing Jesse under pressure when he's not being a judgmental ball of rage Jesse pretty much just rolls with everything and we saw some of each and then his yeah, final note here he said on the other hand I'm finding the shift from the more character heavy first two and a half seasons to the more plot oriented run to be a little jarring although most of the comic readers seem very happy so I'm guessing there's some good stuff ahead that's a great observation. Yeah, I think maybe the comic readers like myself are our perception is a little skewed because we're getting small payoffs that we were looking for. You're excited to. to be going places, I think is is kind of where it, like you're starting to head towards that. <laughs> you know what sucks? I think I'm excited to see certain things and then they happen and I'm disappointed by them. Yeah. Because they don't live up to what I wanted them to be. But I still like the show so much. But we, it is funny, like, we are driving towards so much awesome shit, we just need to get there, damn it. <laughs> we just need to do it already. That, yeah. uh, I really liked um, what he said about Hoover and Cassidy being a good pair. They, yeah. Uh, they, they're both kind of in the same respective position of, like, like, if you look at, like, Star and Jesse, right? They're, like, the leaders of their trios. They're the most bullheaded. They don't necessarily think that their friends can hang with them they think they know better than everybody else and then you got tulip and featherstone who are arguably the most competent of all of them they're the two women they're like often right when the dudes are wrong 
their instincts are often better and they're willing to like listen and collaborate a little more, but they're also really stubborn. And then you got Hoover and Cassidy who are like, they're just trying their best. <laughs> well, you know what? It's actually, it's almost kind of flipped a little bit though, because I would say that Tulip has the O'Hare curse and is like fucking up more often. Like Hoover. Whereas Cassidy is kind of m- m- surprisingly competent at the things that he does. Particularly the thing about like season two where he's like dealing with the bodies of angels that he ends up killing and like hiding stuff for Jesse and doing things like that. That's true. So it's almost like a little bit of a reversal. Like they they, they all kind of complement each other in different ways. I guess I think Hoover and Cass are similar because they're kind of the misfits. They're kind of the yes. outcasts. Yes. And they're kind of looked. This is where they belong in the hierarchy. Yes. Yep. And I think Hoover could be competent. I think he's just given the wrong tasks. Like he needs, <laughs> I don't, I think he needs to be behind a desk. Like, he played the shit out of that soft shoe. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. See, there you go. He's and, and he seems like he's going to be a really good vampire <laughs> based on his pose. And he's like wearing a little cape, isn't he? Yep. In that scene. Yeah. Yep. He's uh he's, he's got merit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so does Cass. Like he's got the spirit. I guess it's because we've spent more time with Cass and we've seen him. But like when you first met Cassidy in the beginning of the series, you were like, Oh wow, this guy's a screw up. Yeah. And like it's easy to dismiss him as a knucklehead. I'm not by any means suggesting that Hoover is any more advanced than we've seen him. <laughs> he, I like him exactly the way he is no i think i think that first impression of cassidy is but i'm talking kind of in terms of personality traits i think they all they make these kind of pairs which is kind of neat but you're not wrong yeah cass is very uh, adept at a lot of things but that tulip is tulip is not inept she just has like bad luck or she like does really 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 well and then the last step is when she gets cocky and doesn't follow through yeah yeah, no. I And Featherstone f- screws up too. Yes. Like she she definitely blunders, but so does Star and so does Jeff. They all do. I mean, they're all flawed characters, but I like I like these kind of pairings that they're that they're yeah. doing. It's neat. No, oh, it's very good. Th- this is the first time that I realized that the that the Grail people are also a trio whereas mm-hmm. so is our main trio as well. But. Samson unit. Yes. All right, I think that's it for this episode. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at g2tpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, FX's The Alienist, and HBO's Westworld, which we just found out there will be a sequel series to The Alienist. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. We, we don't have it. a proper place to talk about that yet. We'll have to make a pre-primer. We can primer. make a little bonus episode for the Alienist feed, but please go check that out. Now is the time to catch up on the first season. Uh, find out more about all these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. And that's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word.